0: I'm Michael Laurie, and you're listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundup. The Ulster Rugby Roundup podcast with Openreach, building the broadband network that connects us all. Check for ultra-fast, ultra-reliable, full-fibre broadband at openreach.co.uk forward slash NI. Hello and welcome to the Ulster Rugby Roundup in association with Openreach. I'm your host, Gareth Hanna, and with me this week are rugby reporters, Jonathan Bradley. Hello. And Michael Sadler. Hello. This week, we've got the opening weekend of the Six Nations to review, while we also look ahead to this weekend's visit of Wales to Dublin. We've got some listener questions to frame the debate, and of course, we'll do it all with an unashamedly Ulster slant. That means we begin, as has become our custom, with our weekly Why is John Cooney not starting for Ireland debate? So, Michael, why is John Cooney not starting for Ireland well, where to start?
1: Where to start eh? I think nothing has fundamentally changed from last week to this week. Um Connor Murray started the game, Connor Murray played well enough and has retained his place end of. Why would you change it up? They won the game and um, also I think it's all it's, it's we're just going over the same old ground, I suppose the halfback partnership with Johnny Sexton. is very important um for continuity. John came on did his what twenty, twenty-one minutes and looked very sharp and, and played very well. But 20 minutes isn't going to get you a start when Conor Murray's still mm-hmm. able to function reasonably well. He had a pretty good game. It wasn't a brilliant game, but it was it was a pretty good game, I thought, over the course
0: mm-hmm. of
1: his, uh, his time on the pitch. So nothing changes. Yeah. And then, of course, they put them both up and the media facility yeah. on Monday just to throw a curveball at everybody, um, which looked bizarre. But I think we've we discussed this already. I'm sure John Cooney is going to get substantial game time and Mm -hmm. probably a start at some point in the Six Nations. Against Italy. Against but you never know. It could come sooner than that if things don't go
0: well this weekend. But,
1: Mm -hmm. you know, um, nothing's really changed. Yeah.
0: So it it was still a talking point this week after the team (coughs) announcement. That's what everybody's talking about. But is it at the stage now where we just need to get over it and accept that this is the stature of things until something seismic changes? Quite possibly until something goes...
2: Or if something goes particularly wrong this weekend, I suppose. I think looking at it now, I would say the form that Conor is in, he's probably consistently putting in like 7 out of 10 performances. Like I don't think he's as bad as people are making out. And then whenever he does have a mistake, people are very quick to latch on to it. So the intercept, I suppose, being the main one. And then there were one or two of his kicks that weren't great. But on the whole, I think he did pretty well. Um, centrally involved in Ireland's try the vast majority of his kicks regardless of what you think about the tactic of kicking were well executed apart from those sort of two that I mentioned the difference being that two years ago say Connor Murray was consistently eight or nine out of ten so he has dropped off that little bit Hmm. which is why people are so focused on the parts of his game or I suppose the mistakes that he makes or has been making Whenever Cooney came on, I thought he did well. I thought he brilliantly measured the two kicks that he had. Defensively, he did really well. He had that really important tap tackle on Ali Price, I think it was, and really sort of brought energy, fired himself into the task, but didn't really get that much opportunity with the ball because most of the time that he was on, Ireland were defending. But I think one of the interesting things that he did say whenever he was in that sort of bizarre press conference on Monday was that this he sees as a progression. So, And he sort of made a reference to it before when he said he thought the discourse around Murray was almost a bit disrespectful. Like, you know, he was almost <laughs> distancing himself from uh, the clamour for him to start. And then on Monday, he talked about how this feels like a progression for him. We've probably talked at length before about how he frames... Um, things that happen to him and that idea that he has of you know you react how you you can't control what happens to you but you control how you react to it so he personally is viewing this as a progression from last year when he got a paltry amount of minutes off the bench and i think it was four six nations games and was really sort of made to feel like he was there because other scrum halves were injured whereas Mm -hmm. now he's if not drawn level with Murray, then drawn very, very close to Murray in the national packing order. And, you know, I wrote about it last week that the main thing for me was going to be to see how many minutes he got and when those minutes came. So he got 20 minutes, which is more than Joe Schmidt really ever entrusted a reserve mm-hmm. scrum half when the game was in the balance. So those really, if she... Assume that every Ireland game is more important than every Ulster game or every club game. Those were probably the most important minutes of his career, really, in terms of the scale. And he did well. So, you know, if he does that again and again and builds on it, then, as he says, almost becoming Ireland's reserve nine, if you like. Because, Mm. as everyone's been at pains to point out... Sorry, everyone involved in within the bubble, if you like, has been a pains to point out. It's not a two-man race, it's a three-man race. Yeah. Because of Luke McGrath. and Luke McGrath is the one guy that probably has, you would say, age on his side, if you're looking mm-hmm. at, which Ireland aren't, but if you're looking at it as a four-year World Cup cycle. Yeah. So, to go back to your original question, which was some time ago now, <laughs> um, Yes, this is a debate that's being maintained for the sake of debate at this point because Andy Farrell has made his choice. Either Ireland, the wheels will come off the cart on Saturday and people will look at a change for the England game. Or we probably see Cooney get a start Mm -hmm. against Italy, which Mm -hmm. to go back to my previous point, I don't count as meaningful minutes because Italy are so (laughs) bad. He is,
1: of course, being very diplomatic. We know how much he wants that number Mm -hmm. nine shirt we know how ambitious he is and we know how focused and driven he is. We, we hear it any time he would appear for any media mm-hmm. duty with Ulster. He doesn't shy away from the fact what he wants. But he's having to sit in his hands a little bit at the moment. Mm-hmm. But, as, as Johnny says, the fact is he's built minutes. They've been good minutes. Yeah. So he can take that away. He's always looking at the positives of everything. Mm-hmm. Often, and, and again, funnily enough, on Monday he mentioned a book quite often. He doesn't mention <laughs> yeah. books. He likes that. Likes that. Um We like it too. To we like America it. Yes, it's fantastic. Something yeah. else to talk about something. rather than you know. Yeah, yeah. We'll keep that, mentioning yeah. books, John. But uh he's been able to take that away and, and build it into a positive. Mm-hmm. But don't uh, under any circumstances think that he's happy with this situation, mm-hmm. he most definitely is not. But all he can do is do well when he comes on and wait for his opportunity. This time it will be a genuine opportunity, which he was definitely not getting at mm-hmm. all in no. the previous regime.
0: You do sort of believe, though, that he genuinely does focus on the positive of this. Though it's just such a typical John Cooney way of, of looking at things.
2: I think like one of the more fascinating parts of John Cooney's rise to be where he is now, which is you know European Player of the Year nominee... John Kenny is... <laughs>
0: it's like an MB who gets officially attached yeah. to the yeah. <laughs> it's,
2: it's just that, I suppose, change in his mental outlook and how beneficial that was in, I suppose, the latter half of his 20s, which is not when you normally see players make such drastic improvements. You know, um, to, I suppose to use a recent example, you know, Darren Cave was somebody that retired at... 31. That's how finite rugby careers yeah. are, and John mm-hmm. Kenny's now two years off that. Mm-hmm. But he's actually much better than he's ever mm-hmm. been at a time when, yeah. certainly, if you were to look at mm-hmm. you know scores in the gym or whatever, he should be now on the other side of the hill, as it were. And it's the key to it has been the change in mental approach. You know, you have mm-hmm. that story that when he was third choice at Connacht, he viewed himself as somebody that should be starting for Ireland. You know, that was his mental mm-hmm. approach to it, and it's paid off to such a degree that, you know, as much as it's different when he talks about it in the media and as much as people probably focus in on it, it's one of those things that you're now going to sort of wonder why everybody's not uh, giving yeah, over absolutely. so much time and attention to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Actually, okay.
1: I think he actually is about to turn 30, you are saying, mm-hmm. he's so he's actually much closer to that mm-hmm. 31 threshold, I think, it's this year, and I think it's yeah. imminent, so he's actually, that, that is quite a milestone, particularly for a rugby player and particularly for someone who... who not necessarily mm-hmm. playing in the front five.
0: Yeah. Do you think he's seen as a, a finisher or a game changer now? Is that a is, mm. it is that an issue where he might get pigeonholed?
1: I don't think so. No, I, I don't think so. I think he's so close to Conor Murray that it's not going to take very much. I don't think, when I say not very much, what I'm talking about here essentially is probably a defeat and a poor performance for Conor mm-hmm. Murray where Andy Farrell will possibly change him and that mm. he's seen as a, a lot more than someone who's just going to give impact off the bench. I think he, he must be being looked at because of his form as a player who can make a meaningful contribution to the majority of minutes yeah. in a game if he, if he did start. And I, I don't yeah. see him being pigeonholed into that bracket. Mm. I think that um, he will get starts. But having said that, the flip side is <laughs> I think in order to do that either Conor Murray has to play badly mm. Or the team have to lose. Mm, something has to go wrong. Something has to go wrong. Quite yeah. possibly both. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, quite possibly,
0: yeah. yeah. What we talk about this debate is being continued for the sake of debate, but it was uh, sort of fluffed up by our FU when they put the two of them up alongside each other mm-hmm. on Monday. What exactly was that about?
2: I think it's one of those things that they put them out there to show a united front, and they put them out there to, it's almost with a wink and a nod. Personally, I didn't particularly like it. I think it was um, a bit strange. And I think it's, you know, as much as Conor Murray was like, no, it's you that are making it awkward. <laughs>
0: you ye make yeah, it awkward. It's, it's ye that. You, <laughs> that make it awkward. No, I don't
2: think that's true. I think it was awkward for both of them. And I think certainly in terms of body language, I think you could tell that it was awkward. Because as much as they can get on away from the field, and as much as... I fully believe them when they say they get on away from the field. The end of the day, they still want the same thing, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. only one of them can have it. And they're yeah. properly
1: competing for it now, as opposed to where John had been mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what are we? What's next? Ronan Keller and Rob Herring—is this we're going to get these little double acts coming <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. every yeah. week now
0: to really like throw everybody? They're few trying to have their own leadership debate. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so. Um, so, the game itself. Nineteen twelve, obviously Ireland won. What can we tell about we'd said last week, John? Harry, you'd said that we'd know more about Andy Farrell's Ireland after the game. What more do we know?
2: Personally, I thought that there was, if not a change in personnel, which, as I pointed out in the paper, um there was no change in personnel really mm-hmm. Um, after 4 minutes through to 40 minutes because with the exception of Herring replacing Best it was exactly the same 15 once mm-hmm. Doris went off that had played against Scotland in the World Cup which is <laughs> when you think about the talk of a new cycle and a new head coach that's I find that incredible yeah. <laughs> like the idea that um, it was exactly the same 15 on the pitch that it had been 4 months ago. I thought they played in a different way there was certainly if you look at I suppose Jordan Larmour. there was certainly a lot more emphasis on running the ball back, a lot more freedom and counter-attack. I thought maybe something that was underplayed was Gary Ringrose as well, making the most of the space that was afforded to him by Ireland, playing in a slightly wider shape, just looking to stretch things out, stretch the Scottish defence and make room for the likes of Larmour and Ringrose. I think the other thing was, as I suppose we should have expected or maybe did expect was that it's very much still a work in progress Um, Scotland surprisingly so given what went last year and then in the last couple of weeks with Finn Russell were markedly better than they had been at any point last year certainly in that game or well either of the games between the two sides Um, I thought that Ireland's forwards would really lay lay a platform as they had done in previous games but physically it was as good as um, I've seen Scotland in a while really and the only thing that stopped them winning the game which they arguably deserved to do was
0: the fact that they just couldn't finish Mm yeah yeah so, our first listener—have we already asked this question? I don't know. Our first or second listener question from Mark Dempsey: Michael, do you think Ireland can win the Six Nations without ruling the dice? As Stephen Ferris puts it, Einstein was credited with saying that doing the same thing over and over <coughs> again and expecting a different result is the definition of insanity. So, has Andy Farrell lost his marbles? As have you out, lost your marbles? <laughs> I lost, lost that
1: question about <laughs> a minute ago. Um, <clears throat> do I think I don't think they'll win the Six Nations anyway. Mm. Does that answer the question? I don't think they will. Um, do exactly... you think there should
0: be more change as Jonathan points out it's basically the same side
1: that... it's basically the same well change what to? I mean I don't know I don't know that he is going to... I, I think it is a work in progress as has been mentioned already and I think he's not obviously intent on sprinting to that point at the moment and why mm-hmm. should he yeah. he's still largely playing what he considers to be his best side although in the debate we've just had at the start of this with whether he's going nine <laughs> it is still largely I think the best side he can put out there um so i think he's trying to roll the dice in the sense that as already been discussed you can see there is change to the way they're going about and certainly in their attack there are alterations and differences but i don't see anything dramatic happening here i mean i don't know if will addison have been fit, whether he would have come in to play 13 or not mm. but i doubt he would actually so i don't think they'll win the six nations i really don't i i i, I I'm not even very sure they're going to beat Wales, and I don't know what's going to happen really um, with England and the games against England and France. The point of the matter is, this will evolve, and you've seen the beginning of an evolution here last weekend. How dramatic or how, how swift that evolution will be, I don't think we really know. But certainly, things did change last week, and there were also aspects of it which weren't so good. Uh, mm. As well. Point is, what can he rip it up? I think like that's do?
2: that's the important question. Of I <laughs> understand that people are looking at things like mm. the team selection, and you know, using the Einstein code of oh, it's just same old, same old,
0: mm.
2: wash, rinse, repeat sort of thing. But at the end of the day, there's four teams to draw players from. Five of their players, I sorry, combination mm. of either aren't good enough to play test rugby, certainly, or Aren't qualified. So let's say that you're really drawing from 40 players to make a 23 man squad. You don't have a wealth of options, really. I think the key points of the selection, if you're looking for change, are Jordan Larmor's playing fullback instead of Rob Carney, which is a departure. Andrew Conway, although not massively younger Mm. than Keith Earls, started ahead of Keith Earls. The team, certainly in the, in the first half when he was on, looked to me like it was going to be, the back going to be built around Gary Ringrose much more than ever before. And then Doris, obviously, um, starting, you know, I think if you're looking at where do you change it up, people that are making that argument, I think you could only really say you could make the argument for John Cooney you could maybe make the argument of going younger at Hooker if that's what you wanted to do with you know Ronan Keller personally I think it should be Rob Herring at the minute where else can you really make changes I suppose you could say Deegan should have come in instead of O'Mahony but O'Mahony played well having been yeah. let's be honest dropped yeah,
1: yeah,
2: so I don't see where you can make changes or I don't see where you can make massive changes from what he's done in terms of personnel, I don't think there's anybody that's really like snubbed massively. And then the change that you are going to see, I think, is just in terms of their style, the way that they're looking to attack, which I think is there, but you probably didn't see as much of it due to a lack of, one, execution, and, to <clears throat> lack of the agreeable opposition that we all thought we were going to get and didn't.
1: It's yeah. true. No, it is, I mean, the Jordan Armour point is is a very valid one. You could see... That pretty much the last thing in his mind when he got the ball in his 22 was to actually kick the ball and hoof it into Rosette now as a former player I can tell you that's the only thing he ever wanted a back to do and I'm <laughs> sure there were players in that park who were going what is he doing because you could argue that he maybe overplayed his hand a bit, but that's and all certainly part when he and stepped into touch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with the Andrew Conway combination. But can you,
2: can you imagine a Joe Schmidt Monday? <clears throat> review, um, oh, he's gone. That incident. He's, yeah. he's gone.
1: He's really he's gone for that um, unforgivable. Um, and it is poor at that level. Those sort of errors. But clearly, he was given one would assume carte blanche to express himself in that way,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which was mm. exciting to see and will possibly excite people in you know watching them but it could also put Ireland under certain mm-hmm. amounts of severe strain. In fact, I think it did that. That particular incident led... what did It, it preceded yeah, the Hog... The Hog, shall we say, incident. Um, so, you know, you could see that would never have happened under Joe Schmidt. Well, first of all, Jordan Armour probably would not have been playing 15 anyway if Rob Carney had been mm-hmm. fit. But if Rob Carney had taken any of those balls, he may have run back into contact, but there's every chance that quite a few of them he would have put his trusty boot to mm-hmm. the ball. So that is an interesting evolution. It'll be very interesting to see... If they do that against Wales Of course there was another compelling reason For them not doing it against Scotland They may not have wanted to invite Stuart Mm -hmm. Hogg into the game With Mm -hmm. lengthy kicks But as it happened It didn't matter Because when he was Invited into the game He gleefully
0: Well not gleefully But from an Irish point of view Did what he did (laughs) The Jordan Larmer point that I think you were referring to we hadn't actually made yet, oh. but Nathan oh. McLennan did ask. Um, that just shows that we do actually prepare uh, what we're going to say. Okay. Um, Nathan, Nathan <laughs> McLennan uh, had asked, uh, pointed out, Jordan Larmour getting all the plaudits, but <coughs> our team's starting to figure out that he's a bit one-dimensional with his solo runs and lack of passing. Uh, is that negating Conway and Stockdale's potential? Is that a point? Is it not doing... Is Jordan Larmer at 15 not doing Jacob any favours in particular?
2: Well, I think his footwork is certainly better than his distribution I think you could say that about any number of Ireland's players probably like I would put Bondiaki into uh, Mm. that mix I think you could maybe not to the same degree but you could make that argument about Ringrose as well like you know they haven't gone for the uh, at any stage the 10-12 or 10-12-15 distributors line obviously maybe Joey Carberry is the only player that really could bring that to the Ireland setup at the minute probably yes. I think a winger would, or any winger would love to play with a fullback that looks to spread the ball past first. But I also think that that's not why Jordan Larmer's been picked. That's not his strength. His strength is, and I think you can really take from the way that Ireland played, that Andy Farrell thinks that his strength is, running the ball back and just creating that, I suppose moment's hesitation because Mm -hmm. the defence don't know what he's going to do there's times when he doesn't look like he knows what he's going to do (laughs) and again I would put Ringo's into that same bracket and I think that was probably the most interesting part certainly the first half was the way that they deployed those players and gave them Addison can play in the same way like um, gives them that freedom to back their their footwork and back their decision making
0: Mm -hmm. yeah so you mentioned him a little while ago Rob Herring Finally, made his Six Nations <clears throat> debut, which just seems a, a little bit bizarre, but um, impressive.
1: Yeah, I thought he played well. I, I thought he played. Well. I hadn't thought he played. Been playing so great for Ulster prior to this, and of course, some of the lineouts were going wrong at Ulster. But the lineouts went very well. He made a, a very good contribution around the park. He made a number of very important tackles. He played actually. Didn't he play over seventy minutes? I think. Yeah, seventy
2: three minutes. Yeah.
1: Uh, which was also very impressive because. You know, Ireland had to do a lot of defending and he was well up for that. I think he deserves to hold on to his place. He will come under more pressure from Ronan Callagher who is the coming man but at the moment he's the guy who's got ownership of the shirt and probably a bit like Conor Murray until such times things go wrong then he should presumably stay there mm-hmm. and I'm guessing unfortunately for Rob who's waited so long uh, you know Ronan Callagher is the coming guy and he will make way for him at some point, but whether he makes way for him significantly in this championship or over the course of the summer or whatever, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, we, we'll have to wait and see. At the moment, he played really well um, mm-hmm. and um, it's very encouraging to see as well if he's able to bring that back with him mm-hmm. um, to Ulster, who have a few important games once this is over.
0: Absolutely. Is the duration of this championship as much as Rob can sort of hope for in the starting shirt? Is it just a case of enjoy this for the next few weeks <laughs> because this is it?
2: Well, I think it would have been a really interesting decision for Andy Farrell to have to make if Kelleher hadn't missed a huge chunk of rugby and rugby at a very important time that he did in the season. I think we're all in agreement that Rob will hold on to the jersey for as long as he can fend off Kelleher. Like, Kelleher is going to be the man going forward. It's just mm-hmm. a matter of when that change is made, really, given you know, the fact that I think Kelleher's just turned 22, I think. Mm-hmm. Um. So mm-hmm. And, you know, the form that he was in for Lanster and stuff. But I thought Rob probably did better than certainly people here are giving him credit for. Like I saw a few sort of teams of the weekend in, you know, UK media that mm-hmm. had him included. And then the Irish reaction to his performance was quite muted, I thought. Obviously, Kelleher came in and probably a bag of nerves, like the excitement's buzzing in you. But, you know, he did have that one sort of key line-out mishap that could have proved very costly late on after uh, C.J. Standards' second turnover of the game. Ireland were turned over at the line-out, which gave Scotland another chance to attack in a one-score game. Mm. You know, a lot's made of that if Scotland go on to score in the end, which they didn't do, so it kind of gets brushed under the carpet somewhat. Whereas Rob's line-out in tandem with Ian Henderson was probably as a sure-to-set-piece performance as we've seen from Ireland in quite some time, and that's been regardless of who the hooker's been. What I'm trying to say, I suppose, is that I think he probably strengthened his case to hold on to the jersey more so than anything else that happened mm-hmm. on Saturday. But I completely agree that, you know, Kelleher is at some stage going to take that jersey off him and be the man probably for a number of years.
0: Mm-hmm. So we'll bring in the Weekly Donut at this stage. He says that Saturday was redemption for CJ and Palm. Uh, but there was so much negativity for about Herring and Hendy pre-match, and so little acknowledgement of the line-out performance afterwards it seems a little strange. Did it surprise you, and how can they be so accurate for Ireland, but not for Ulster?
2: Just to suppose the amount of moving parts, it's quite complicated, like I don't think there was ever any point really where you were looking at Rob Herring and thinking um, he was the issue, like I think he was regarded as The best thrower of all the hookers that were sort of in the mix for Ireland. I think the interesting point was that pre-match they talked about the calls being divided up amongst other players, which is something they kind of mentioned at the World Cup, but didn't seem to be in actuality and then it was the same on saturday so they talked pretty much about the calls being divided but then when Herring did his post-match he talked about the calls made by Ian henderson so i don't really Aye. know it's, it almost seems like they're trying to say i'm gonna say red herring but mm-hmm. um about who's actually calling the lioness <laughs> yeah. um, but it, it does seem to be Ian henderson so i understand the point of it those are the same aspects but there's so many other Mm-hmm. aspects involved but I thought Henderson played very well as well mm-hmm. off the back of as Donald says a fair amount of questioning not massive calls but questioning about I suppose his consistency in delivering in an Ireland jersey but you know he had the two big line out steals defended robustly he was very involved brought energy I thought it was a really good and timely performance from him as well
0: What do we expect in terms of the match this weekend obviously there were just the two enforced changes for Ireland Palm, Peter Mahoney, I think we'll just call him Palm, Palm. from okay. from his day <coughs> forward, quite mm-hmm. like that. Mm. And uh, Robbie Henshaw mm. coming in. So, what do we expect? Uh, not as optimistic as this time last week. No, I'm not.
1: I mean, it's very hard to know where Wales are because um, I don't know if anybody tried to endure watching the Wales rugby game, <laughs> but uh, I did. I, I kind of drifted from it and I found something better to do, like darn a pair of socks <laughs> because it was. <laughs>
0: now I believe you're over 50. Yeah. I have no idea what darning a sock <laughs> is. It, I've I, heard actually. of it in uh, Eleanor Rigby. Right. And right. uh, that's it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't. It, it was It was an awful
1: game. It really was a dreadful game to watch. So it's very difficult to know where Wayne Pivot wales are, but I think mm-hmm. as Johnny says, Scotland produced a performance nobody was really expecting, which may have been indeed partly due to all the Finn Russell stuff they have a circle the wagons mentality this will be a very different challenge, Wales are a much better balanced side their back row is more balanced they've got Alan Wynne Jones in there they're going to ask very, very different questions this Ireland team, and also they have the ability, now I don't know what they're going to do obviously with George North, because I'm not sure that George North at 13 really worked, if there was mm-hmm. one thing that didn't look quite right about the way Wales were. And one thing Italy actually looked at early on and, and found some traction with, it was the Georgian North defensively wasn't quite up to speed where he maybe ought to be. But they weren't, Italy just didn't have the quality to to continue perhaps probing in that area. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what Pivak's going to do and I think the team's actually named. Unusually, it's not we really named about an hour after we finish, but I think it's <laughs> named uh, tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, that will be a very interesting. I'm not sure he'll go with North. I think he's like I think
2: Tompkins probably looked um, yeah,
1: looked ready, really ready to step a step up. But I I think Ireland will will be put under an a, an awful lot more pressure than we saw, and we saw them under a great deal of pressure, obviously against Scotland, mm-hmm. who didn't have the wherewithal to finish it due to their own inability. Mister no. Hogg being one, of course, and also some very robust defending by Ireland. But I don't think Wales are going to give them that that at all. I think Wales will be much more clinical when they get into that scoring zone than Scotland were and I think they will be able to do that I just think that the Welsh back row is going to I I know Scotland's back row was was good but I just like the balance they have I I Mm -hmm. just think that I don't know if you agree or not Johnny but I think that they they can definitely um, ask questions that Scotland were unable Mm -hmm. to ask or even get close to asking.
2: Yeah like I don't think Wales allow you to have five breakdown turnovers in your own 22 Mm. especially as you say with that back row and Toby Faletai with another game in him. I thought Mm -hmm. he was probably more muted um, than the rest of their pack, maybe. But we all know the quality he's going to bring when he gets up to speed. I thought it was interesting. I don't know if there was a huge sort of chasm between the Ireland performance and the Wales performance. Wales having won 42-0, I think probably just shows... Hmm. I object Italy are I think it'll be interesting to see how they pitch up this week but Ireland I think need to be an awful lot better and I don't know seven days on if they have Hmm. that in them Hmm. to make the Hmm. big big step forward that I think they need to make it
0: could be really pivotal this game because you look at the fixtures afterwards
2: this is is Ireland's defining game of the championship because they'll beat Italy regardless coming in we all thought that they would beat Scotland really mm-hmm. regardless of how they played so you were looking at almost a worst case scenario mm-hmm. not a genuine worst case scenario but a realistic worst case scenario of winning two games mm-hmm. yeah. and if you lose to Wales then to avoid that scenario then you have to win either in Twickenham and as bad as England looked I don't think this Ireland team has that no. in them or win in France who mm. there's every chance now will be going for if not a Grand Slam then a championship. Mm-hmm. And hopefully and be able to read... It? Yeah. And mm-hmm.
1: hopefully able to read the clock this time as well. They kicked the ball out with... What, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So which allowed that. Owen Farrell to get his so family. What, what, well, what happened? They just completely misread of the time. <laughs> I think uh, Ant- well, Antoine
2: <laughs> Dupont said that he was going to have to wear glasses next time. <laughs> <but> yeah, <laughs> it's another sort of similar to that Irish line-out that we mentioned, that it doesn't yeah. get uh, talked about quite so much if um, things don't go wrong afterwards, but yeah. for somebody who was absolutely fantastic, fantastic. ominously so for Ulster, yeah. given yeah. what's coming down the track against Toulouse, super player, but yes, a very strange, strange um, moment. But then that's France for you, and they'd have to
1: do something bizarre, wouldn't they? Um <laughs> The only thing I would say just to counter the argument is, the, the Wales beat Italy very very handily. Actually, that game was twenty something nil for a long time. It was really mm. have they really been hardened in the way that Ireland have now? Perhaps that could be advantage Ireland. Mm-hmm. They're coming into this game without having to really push themselves, but beat an abject, fairly abject Italy mm-hmm. easily. So it, it could be that Ireland will gain something from being put through the ringer as they yeah. were. Could yeah. could be. You can you can flip it and say, look, that yeah. might be advantageous um
2: because i think like for all the faults of the game on saturday it was i I don't know what you felt michael Mm. it was actually quite enjoyable in the sense that Mm -hmm. it felt very much like a six nations contest maybe like a six nations contest from like the late 90s but it felt like a six nations contest whereas the wheels at league game to me had all the intensity of the middle November test, you know, it's like a tier one team playing a tier, well, a bad tier two team, you know. Another thing that maybe, I think at the end of this, I'm going to tip Wales to win, but I'm
1: (laughs) You're just getting there gradually. Yes,
2: but what I will say is that Ireland have not started well, even when they've been good in this championship, you know, and there's a lot to be said for the momentum and the, uh, even just the confidence that you can take from a good close-fought victory. You know, mm-hmm. you think back to 2018 and the Johnny Sexton mm-hmm. drop goal, you know, that wasn't a fluid performance either. But you, this, as everyone is um, keen to remind us, is a championship It's <laughs> about building momentum. So Ireland have at least done that. And yeah, as Michael says, I don't think you can take very much from beating Italy Regardless of what fashion you did, it, and we've seen that even with Ireland, you know, um, in 2017, of it's an outlier of a game because they're not at anything close to the level mm-hmm. that they need to be.
0: Yeah. So you're tipping Wales, Michael? Um, Wales. Wales. I'm actually. Yeah. My word. All right. Well, look, it's going to be a fascinating one uh, this weekend. Anyway, before we do leave Ireland, uh, we heard yesterday that last week that sort of said that Will Addison had been in and out of training. And we heard yesterday that he is injured. Do we know any sort of prognosis on that? No. Still the calf. So the calf, if you remember,
2: didn't keep him out of an Ulster game. But it was the calf that he injured away to Claremont and then played against Bath mm-hmm. this seven days later. Um, so last week we were told by Andy Farrell that he was being managed. This week we're told that he was definitely out. So... There was never an instance of, was he going to come in instead of Henshaw? I don't think that he would have done, but it would have been an interesting call to make because he <coughs> plays more like Ringrose yeah. than Henshaw. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Against Wales, I probably still would have gone with Henshaw just because, I suppose, of the size of that Welsh backline.
1: Yeah. Uh, though I'd have been very tempted to play well, but again, he hasn't really had the exposure, mm-hmm. uh, an awful lot of exposure at this level, but I would be tempted to have done it simply because of what he can bring to the midfield a la mm-hmm. Gary Ringrose type player. Mm-hmm. Um, he just has that uh, ability with that magical footwork. And we've seen mm-hmm. what he did meet in the World Cup warm-up against Wales um, when he was on and off the pitch, I think, several times that day. Mm-hmm. But he made quite an impact. I would have liked to have seen him, but I suspect, yeah, Andy Farrell would have erred on the side of caution and gone with the more experienced Robbie Henshaw. But I, defensively, it, it's it's a good call, but I think creatively, it will make a difference mm-hmm. to Ireland and yeah. won't necessarily be um,
0: a particularly positive one. Mm-hmm. Fear. We have to mention <coughs> a little bit more. You told us last week, Jonathan, about how good France were going to be, how good they were going to uh, be to watch. That first half against England was eye-catching, to say the least. Yeah, now, whenever I tipped France to make an impact in this
2: championship, I didn't expect England to be as bad as they were, <laughs> yeah. to be fair. I think you could instantly see the impact that Sean Edwards has made. Again, we talked about it last week, of just how downright sensible, and therefore very unlike the French, that appointment seemed, because it was going to bring organisation to a team that so obviously lacks it and then we talked about I suppose the young players and you saw how impressive they were a very strange performance from England I think probably the unquantifiable thing in this championship is always going to be the impact, the mental impact of one losing a World Cup final on England and two the mental impact of the Saracen scandal like we saw Owen Farrell probably his worst game possibly ever in an England jersey given some of the like unforced errors that he made so it's going to be interesting to watch that progress throughout the championship and it's for me the most interesting thing is going to be whether France maintain this and um, you know they have to go to Cardiff still they have to go to Edinburgh and if those teams pitch up better than England did uh, that's going to be again some of the more fascinating (laughs) games of this championship because if you know We've always said it, if France get it right, then in terms of the prospects for everybody, it's good for the Six Nations, but in terms of all the other teams' prospects for the Six Nations, then they take a massive hit.
1: Yeah, No, they were very, very good. Um, I The madness wasn't there anymore, apart from, obviously, Dupont's uh, kick. They looked <coughs> as, as, as you would expect with Sean Edwards, but I didn't think Sean Edwards would have had such an impact as quickly. Very, very well-organised, very, very structured, and they just seemed to... They just seemed to know exactly when to turn it on. And they were very, very, um, they were ambitious and they were accurate. All these things, Mm -hmm. ambitions never mean necessarily something that France would lack to a degree. Perhaps they'd gone off the boil in that regard, but they had it all there. The package was there, but it cannot be ignored either that England were terrible. They were really, really bad. They did not look Mm -hmm. like they were up for anything at all. And that was the striking thing that I took yeah. away. It was fantastic to see France play so well again. But I was really puzzled just as to how mm-hmm. off England yeah. were. Equally
0: fantastic to see England play so perfect. um indeed. So, uh, But
2: like, you did always think that France were going to completely France it up again. <laughs> <indeed>. <laughs> In
0: that second half.
2: You were looking yeah, at it really thinking. Did, it. Did, yeah. Once
1: Johnny May started to beat. Yeah, I we, mean, we, we did talk about Sean defence. But one of those tries, you were looking at him going, why? No, you can't be that good. Somebody's got to Yeah, get him. yeah. But no. Yeah, yeah. So they did they, they did everything they could to try and re- rediscover the old France, if you know <laughs> what I mean. But I think basically they cut too far ahead. Thank, well, I couldn't say thank goodness. That's not being very impartial, is it? I <laughs> could oh, But I think that it, they couldn't be France without doing something mad. And as we talked about Dupont, and then England had that penalty and decided quite logically, oh, what is the point in battering away? Let's just get the three points and take our bonus mm. point out and yeah. go home. Yeah,
0: which is fair. They did. So the Ireland under-20s have started their campaign to back up their uh, Grand Slam from last year. Obviously five Ulster players were starting for them in the 30th 26 win over Scotland. This Finlay, Hayden Hyde, Ethan McElroy, Tom Stewart and a captain, David McHale. So Stuart Martin points out that Finlay and McElroy caught the eye. But they're not currently in the Ulster Academy. This is something we have sort of debated a little bit from time to time. But he asked, can Ulster unilaterally add them or do they need IRFU approval? That obviously has happened before, just very quickly. We outlined that, it wasn't it, Angus Kernaghan? Yes, was so, was, so Angus Kernaghan wasn't
2: in the Ulster Academy to start with. And then once other players got bumped up to senior deals or development deals, as it were, got added to the Academy. So we mentioned it last week. I think, although it's going to be interesting to see whether that happened again with Ethan McElroy and to go back again to the question, yes, so from what Karen Campbell has told us, every decision of who's brought into the academy is made on an island-wide IRFU basis. So, yes, I don't think they can just Mm -hmm. um, pick and
0: choose willy-nilly to add people in. But that also has ramifications then for the second half of his question is if Ulster don't add them to the academy, (laughs) do they have to worry about losing them to another province or another... Club, presumably not to another province, but it would would it be a worry that these guys might get a chief eight if they're not? The only way that they could go to another
2: province would be personal choice, I suppose, or if it was seen that there was no room for them at Ulster. I don't see how there can be no room for them at Ulster, especially in the positions that they play. So if the IRFU deems them worthy of Academy places, presumably that would be at, at Ulster. At Ulster. Yeah in terms of other clubs obviously it's a massive risk that you lose in mm-hmm. to other clubs obviously McIlroy's studying at Queen's isn't that right yeah. mm-hmm. um, I think he is think and
0: then for their island ambitions you would hope that, uh, that they'll stay
2: so. yeah but, but like um, Finley, especially I had not seen much of him because whenever I saw the A side this year Nathan Duke was playing at Scrum Half so he'd only really come on uh, come off the bench in the games that I'd seen but he, like, he was really really impressive he managed the game really well he kicked well. Obviously, he went to down high, so he's got that going for him as well. <laughs> and then Hayden Hyde, a couple of really um, <clears throat> strong, impactful carries in that inside center channel. Fairly obvious comparison, maybe, but a lot like Stuart McCluskey, especially in the way that whenever he takes contact, he takes contact on his own terms and he looks for the offload. So he was impressive. Stuart's somebody that we've talked about before as having really caught the eye. Probably one of quieter games that I've seen McCann have. I've always seen him as a 7, I think switching to 8. I don't know if that's really the best position for him long term. I'd have him more as a 7, especially given how valuable the open side position is and how difficult it is to unearth genuine Mm -hmm. open sides. Um, I would probably see him there more Mm -hmm. long term. And that was everybody, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, they play Wales at home on Friday evening at quarter past seven. That's in Cork, so unless you're related or good friends, one of those players, you're probably (laughs) not going to go to that. Um, Ireland women also had a good start with their Six Nations. Uh, They won 18-14. Ulster's Catherine Dane was in the starting side. But, Michael, there's been another call-up. Yes.
1: Thank you for that. Yes, new (laughs) Jones. Uh, has been called up into the squad uh, from Malone, so uh, an actual Ulster bass player as well. Yeah, which so, is quite rare. Which is very rare.
0: Which um, is, is good. An Ulster
2: bass player, not from <laughs> yeah, yes. any even more rare.
0: indeed. Right? Unbelievable. So good luck to them. They play we uh, Wheels at Donnybrook on Sunday at one pm. One final lister question, which is to do with Ulster. Will Sam Carter be back in time for a quarter final? Yes, I think so. He's, good. he's That's supposed to be. Yeah, are you gonna do the? This and the School's cool. Cup, of course. Yes, thank you for the reminder, Michael. We have the School's <coughs> Cup going off proper. We, of course, had the great stages before Christmas this year. But yes. the the knockout rounds begin on Saturday morning. Yes. What have we got to look forward to? They do. Yes,
1: indeed they do. Um, we're down to the last 16 now, so... Straight into that from the group stages, our number of matches. the, the, the one that catches the eye is obviously uh, Royal School Armagh against Campbell, um, last year's semi finalists when Campbell won the game, uh, and actually the year prior to that, uh, Campbell beat Royal School Armagh to win So it's a bit yeah. of a yeah, a bit of a, I say a grudge game, but there there's definitely history like the, there between yeah. them. And there's a lip fry in one of those games, isn't there? There's something. Yeah. There's a bit of. Yeah. Oh well, last year, um, Armah uh, kind of. Sh- should have probably won that semi final as well, man. They yeah. didn't manage to do yeah. It is a two
2: years ago, they had uh, <coughs> all yeah. of the ball in that game. Uh, yes, they did. Yeah. Um, in that game, and just uh, it was a breakout in the end, wasn't it? Yeah, they're just uh, just so well drilled, mm-hmm. so well yeah. drilled that
0: year. And
1: that's uh, Adarma that's Adarma and that's the s- probably the standout one. Because clearly one of the two isn't going to go any further and that is obviously blindingly obvious but it's unusual at this early stage and that mm. would be what's happened. it's an open draw and that's, well, that's the way it goes anyway and there's also another big game in Belfast uh, which is uh, inst against BRA mm-hmm. which I'll be at <coughs> at Osborne Park and uh, yeah uh, I suppose that's it, Like, I'm not sure that there are any other particular ones, uh, Methody are at Cambridge House, uh, Wallace who are being talked about as being very strong and, and, and possibly favourites this year are at banger and Alamina Academy, another team
2: talked about are at um, Johnny's old mater, oh. down high school. So To go back to the under twenties, mm. something that I should have said. I wouldn't be surprised to see Aaron Sexton play some part in the under twenties campaign if he gets his um mm-hmm. gets over a hamstring injury. Mm-hmm. That's that's the word really, on the street. Stranger grammar mentioned there. Oh, just yeah. It was, just, that yeah flicked back in my head. <laughs>
0: So, that's pretty much us for this week. We will uh, be with you online um, in the newspapers over the weekend with the Schools Cup and Six Nations. So, until then, from Jonathan Bradley. Cheers, thank you.
2: From Michael Sadler.
0: Bye, everybody. And myself, Gareth Hammond. Thanks for listening. The Ulster Rugby Roundup podcast with Openreach, building the broadband network that connects us all. Check for ultra-fast, ultra-reliable, full-fibre broadband at openreach.co.uk forward slash NI.